Welcome, everyone. Nice to see everybody. <clears throat> so we have small groups tonight, uh, later tonight, and I want to spend some time, obviously, on this next factor, virya, or energy. <clears throat> but maybe take a little time to reflect on the guided meditation together before we formally go into the um, third factor of energy. Because it's really easy to, uh, just partly because of the way our minds are conditioned, we get more information, we read or uh, hear more about this map of the seven factors of awakening. And it can sometimes be more confusing than helpful. So remember, the particular map of the seven factors doesn't have to affect our basic approach to meditation. It's really a map to overlay on the practice of being mindful. So that's why we've been using this formula, I guess, from Ajahn Brahm of uh, cultivating sustained present moment awareness. And the, the emphasis here is <clears throat> not to immediately feel, to get confused by directing the attention. So the, we want to take the time to understand that the present moment is already here. Because it teaches us something very deep about effort, which is what we're talking about this week. When we, you know, because a lot of times we think of effort in terms of taking my attention and putting it elsewhere. But there's no elsewhere, it's only here. So the only effort is the effort to know what's already here. Let's see, it really changes the, the, the feeling of the effort, you know, when we realize all we have to know is what's already right here in front of us, so to speak. So it's not a big effort. And that sustained present moment awareness, <clears throat> if, you, if you really work at it, and don't, don't let your mind immediately go to the focused, sustained present moment aware, awareness, like with your breath or whatever object you use. Of course, you're not avoiding those objects. It's not like, well, I can't be with the breath as I'm doing sustained present moment awareness. Not focused present moment awareness. Um, but we're not, uh, we're specifically not fixing the mind, not giving the mind any particular agenda except sustained present moment awareness. And then again, when we shift to the second, sustained, silent, present moment awareness. There's nothing we have to do. We're just noticing when there is silence in the sustained, present moment awareness. So the one thought ends, and before the next thought begins, we're just appreciating that sustained, silent awareness. And like so many parts of the path, the simple recognition of something is the way that it develops. 
It's like when the mind recognizes times of sustained, silent, present moment awareness, that's the proximate cause for the development of sustained, silent, present moment awareness. So if you want more silent, sustained, present moment awareness, just notice it in the in, with the intention to have sustained present moment awareness, thoughts coming and going, everything's okay. Everything is completely allowed in this, right? Everything's included. So there's no <clears throat> trying to control experience in any way, no need to judge anything, because absolutely any experience is suitable for sustained present moment awareness. Right? We can be awake to anything, flipping out. We can be flipping out, and that could be part of our sustained present moment awareness. And then just appreciating the silent, sustained silent present moment awareness, like how, <clears throat> I mean, we're just, re, it's just revealing something about the mind, which is when we're thinking, the thinking generally comes with attachment, and the attachment tends to gum things up, tighten things up. So when there's sustained, silent, present moment awareness, things settle down. Precisely because the thinking and the attachment that usually goes with thinking isn't happening. So nothing's stirring the pot, nothing's sort of whipping things up. So with the sustained, present moment awareness, there's just a settling and an appreciation maybe of the settling. And then with the sustained, focused, sustained, silent, focused present moment awareness where we allow the mind to settle on a particular object like the movement of the breath in the body, then it's, it's really an experiment of letting go. The mind is, you know, you can think of it in terms of the animal mind that um, has a habit of wanting to have this diverse awareness, you know, kind of like a peripheral awareness, um, listening, is somebody sneaking up behind me? Is there something I should be doing now? But when we have focused, sustained, silent, focused awareness, then we are <clears throat> intentionally letting go of that diversity of awareness, that diversity of experience. And that, uh, it's sort of a, there's a, you know, there's, it's difficult because we like to, you know, we like to sort of have that global sense. It's sort of a protective function to have that, that global sense. And it's not like we're shutting that off, but we're letting, we're letting the mind do what it naturally does when it has a focused, a sustained, silent, focused awareness, which is absorption. And that absorption is precisely the letting go of the world. It's not, again, it's not so much that we're driving the attention into the breath or into... A lot of times people work with pain because painful sensations are really great absorption objects. Hopefully you've noticed that because either you're resisting it or denying that you have pain. But if you're going to work with pain skillfully, it really is just letting the attention 
get drawn in and letting go of the whole world. The whole world of this and that, me observing the pain or me observing the breath. And just going into merging in with the object, knowing the object. So, this is the basic formula that we've been working with. And then, in the context of this sustained, sustained, silent, sustained, silent, focused, present moment awareness, then we're just uh, becoming fluent with these seven factors. On one level, just being able to call them to mind. And hopefully, we've done a little thinking about them, like reflection, What do I know about tranquility? What do I know about investigation? What do I know about the experience of energy? And using the sentences that we read from the different texts and the talks and just getting a sense of what our experience of these seven factors are. So that in the context of that sustained, silent, focused, present moment awareness, whatever we're doing, then we're simply aware, certainly, of the contrast between the energizing and the tranquilizing factors, and then even more specifically, how they relate to one another, both linearly, you know, as one of the discourses of the Buddha talks about how when we're mindful, when we have continuity of mindfulness, it's like we've already, to some degree, broken free of our conceptual overlays our interpretations of things. And we're seeing things moment to moment, in a sense, as they actually are, free of the conceptual overlay. And it opens up this whole world, which the, which the natural result is this intention to investigate, to want to understand. That's what mindfulness leads to, is this appropriate intention in the mind to want to investigate. Because... There's this world here of things as they are, sort of a world beyond our thoughts about things. So we investigate. Investigation opens up this world of skillful and unskillful. As we're investigating, as we're listening, as we're opening, receiving the present moment experience, we realize that how we're, what we're paying attention to, how we're paying attention, we realize this is all very important in terms of suffering and not suffering, stress and not stress. So that's what we mean by skillful and unskillful. And this arouses energy. Once we realize the present moment is relevant through investigation, we get charged. We get bright. It's like human beings are not afraid of making an uh, effort. We just a lot of the times don't feel, we feel helpless so we don't feel there's anything relevant to do. Or all the things we think are relative to do, we've done and we've been burnt, you know, disappointed or something. But once we get past our ideas about things and we have some continuity of mindfulness and we get interested and we begin to see this world of skillful and unskillful. And you see how this parallels the Buddha's instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta. You know, the refrain, and especially at the beginning, you know, he's talking about uh, 
seeing things in and of themselves. This is, he's really talking about mindfulness. Going beyond the world of grasping. You know, going beyond how we take the experience in terms of our ideas about things and seeing things in and of themselves. And then the next thing he suggests in mindfulness is to begin to see the arising and passing. So as we're observing the breath or sound or whatever, and observing, so we're observing, knowing what we're paying attention to and we're knowing how we're paying attention to the sound or the breath. We, it's just this whole world of skillful and unskillful opens up. And the energy leads, you know, we, we get energized like, oh my God, it matters how I'm paying attention, what I'm paying attention to, it all matters. Like at the end of the sit tonight, uh, I was feeling a lot of energy in my sit, but not so much tranquility. So I spent most of the last five minutes after I made that suggestion just just uh, setting the resolve initially to notice tranquility. And then I would just repeat the word uh, every maybe two minutes or so to say the word in my mind again, just to remind myself that I'm interested. And so I was intentionally interested in that object, so what I was paying attention to. And how, while I was paying attention to the tranquility that I could discern with an appreciation, I was appreciating, uh, I was appreciating its wholesomeness. And in a sense, appreciating that it was out of balance. It was, you know, that the energizing factors were stronger. And just that recognition, like that it was uh, out of balance, I could feel it coming in. And so, you know, it's, what's so kind of ironic maybe is that it's with these seven factors that we develop the seven factors. It's like a perfect example of having some continuity with tranquility, you know, continuity of mindfulness, being interested, investigating it, feeling the energy. You know, right there in prompting the mind, uh, inviting the mind to recognize and sustain attention with tranquility, I noticed the stillness of concentration. I noticed equanimity. Like I wasn't, you know, striving to get uh, tranquility. Of course, it wouldn't have worked if I had. But the mind was equanimous. It was, and it's so interesting to see how it can be both sort of interested and uh, impartial at the same time. So this is, this is really, it's like uh, the context of sustained present moment awareness, silent present moment awareness, sustained silent focus, let's say on the breath, present moment awareness. It's really just the ground, the working ground to be aware of these seven factors. These are actually more the objects of awareness because the what we're paying attention to is shifted now to how we're paying attention to. That's what's actually more important. But we need something to pay attention to, the breath or the body sitting or just the sound of stillness. So whatever your primary object is, 
You don't necessarily drop it. Or pain. Like I said, pain, strong physical sensations, for a lot of us, is a common meditation object. So any thoughts about just the meditation technique that we've been working with for the last few weeks? And how it relates to the seven factors and you know, just why I encourage people to memorize them so you can just begin to recognize how they are part of how you're relating to whatever object you're paying attention to. Anything come to mind? Yeah, Susan. I have a question about... It's almost like the authenticity of the experience. So say you're focusing on your breath and you're feeling some kind of pain and you then want to focus in on tranquility. And so you kind of you kind of bring it up. And sometimes it feels like you're almost superimposing tranquility on your experience of whatever pain, say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like you're kind of somehow conjuring it up and it, it's more authentic. But then sometimes I question, it's like, well, with the meditation, am I supposed to be focusing on kind of what I'm really experiencing that's really kind of catching my attention? Or is it appropriate, is it kind of authentic to bring up something else even though it feels like I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of forcing, or not forcing, but really, you know, I'm, I'm making that happen. Yeah. So there's effort involved. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I think what we miss is that, like, that, that kind of describes my sit. I had a lot of energy, but I had a lot of physical pain right in my middle of my back, upper back, and it's kind of a classic, uh, common place for me to have a strong physical sensation, sensations. So I was working with that pain. And, uh, and <clears throat> the thing about pain is it tends to activate the energizing qualities it's quite strongly in our practice. Um, we're interested, you know, and, uh, and there's, there can be a lot of rapture even, sort of ironically, you know, just a lot of movement of energy in the body that's somewhat pleasant, but the primary object is that pain. What we don't realize there, like you you talked about how it's a little artificial to intentionally turn the attention, let's say, to tranquility, but we don't realize how artificial our devotion to the pain is, too, you know, That, that there's something out of balance about that, too. So, one of the principles in working with the mind or just, you know, the way it is for us is when we're caught, it's like the, the, the Dharma in terms of the teachings or the instructions, they sort of match where we are in that moment. So if we're a lot diluted, then the practice, the technique is in a sense artificial because the technique is like what would be skillful to do is dependent on how we're diluted in that moment. Do you see? So the the technique to counter this delusion, this out of balanceness, has to it's not itself balance. Okay. It's arising to counter that. Okay. So uh, even though we say, you know, mindful like the Buddha says, mindfulness is good in all things, but one of the things that mindfulness reveals is how we're stuck and how like stuck 
because pain in my back shines as the most predominant object, you know, and so it seems like from some of the things the Buddha says is, well, we should pay attention to the primary object. But as I'm paying attention to that primary object, there's something else that will arise, especially if we've been studying so we have a sense of the map. And what might arise in that experience is this: there's, there's something cyclical here. Yes, it's called samsara, cycles of suffering, that even though I have some concentration, even though I could probably do this for a while, you know, be aware of this pain for a while with, you know, some continuity of mindfulness, there's something out of balance. That's what mindfulness reveals. If we don't get um, confused by, oh, i got to pay attention to this, it's predominant. Mm -hmm. If we actually stay awake, we'll notice it's a little out of balance. Like, this is not happiness. And so, that begs the question, well, what would make this feel better, be better? What would bring this into balance? And then tranquility just comes into the mind. It's a natural thing. It doesn't have to be Susan doing it. To the degree we understand that this is out of balance, the question, how is it out of balance, just arises. The recognition that tranquility would be nice. And just that thought, it's a wholesome thought, begins the investigation to tranquility. And as we see it, just, just even seeing it in terms of a concept in the mind, already starts to correct the imbalance. And then when the mind actually starts to connect, even if the tranquility is quite feeble or not strong, um, it's it sort of the coming into balance sort of strengthens that. It's like the force of wisdom. So, you know, wisdom, remember, wisdom is a natural and impersonal thing. So to the degree that the balance, the, what's out of balance comes into balance, it doesn't, it isn't me or you making that correction. It's mindfulness is going to allow wisdom to do its thing. And uh, so you might have some second guessing or you might be rushing it a little bit instead of letting it happen organically. So uh, in that, you know, if being with the pain and, and seeing that there's maybe too much energy relative to the tranquility, um, just stay with that experience and just notice how you'll naturally, you know, naturally come up and just follow, follow the instincts of the mind. Yeah, thank you, Susan. <clears throat> Anything else about the sitting? Yeah, Gail and then Anita. <laughs> and so I started, um, I, I noticed that um, the mind is interested in the, the movement energy. And so I started there. And then along with that, then I could notice tranquility and, and just a 
sort of setting up that challenge. And then there would arise um, interest that would then bring up moments of interest mm-hmm. and moments of rapture. Um, you know, those things would, would come as things interesting. And sort of yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't mean they're not there. Because uh, it, it, it really is a, a breakthrough or an insight when it's not like we're seeing equanimity for the first time, but we're recognizing it for the first time clearly. Oh, this is equanimity. This is concentration. And, uh, and so it's important to understand that, you know, these maps, um, you know, again, it's, a, it's like Gail was suggesting. It's a, there's a bit of faith involved in these, in these maps. And there's something about intentionally taking on the path, you know, that the Buddha taught. I know this all can smack us sort of in a funny way, especially if you came from a, a dogmatic uh, religious background. Oh, so that now this is the dogma. But uh, you want to see if it's skillful. Like if you really have some faith that these factors actually do exist in the mind, this mind, and that they are available and that they respond to knocking on the door by being interested, playing like Gail was saying, just bringing to mind in an, just sort of an organic way, following your nose, just starting with whatever you're interested in or whatever seems to be present, and then letting the other factors sort of let the mind get interested in them just naturally as you develop one particular factor. Because, you know, as you develop the mind in any particular way, the other factors will be closer and closer as you develop one particular factor. Because they're not really different things, they're just different facets of the same thing, what we would call a balanced mind. But I really encourage you, just because you're taking the class, to experiment with some confidence or faith that they're, they're really available for you to play with and to develop in your practice. And to really do that, not just to sort of go through the motions in your sit, but to really bring to mind these different factors. Um, yeah, thanks, Gail. Anita, do you have a thought? Um, yeah, I have a question. Um, I assume that when you talk about pain, you're including emotional pain. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I just returned from a trip, a family trip, that, and so when I finally sat down here tonight, I got flooded with emotional pain, and then I, then I kind of realized, gosh, there's a lot of energy there, and then it was kind of like, well, there's this whole story in my mind that was connected, you know, I, I couldn't have those feelings without having some story in my mind about the, what those feelings were, so I kind of got into a you know, a session would try to calm it down and I thought about some of the other things. I kind of felt like, yeah, there's still some equanimity and there's even maybe a tinge of maybe what you were talking about with rapture because it was really energetic. But uh, I also felt like there was a fight It was what? Kind of a fight inside. Yeah. Well, remember, some of these factors um, can be aligned with both wholesome and unwholesome states. So, you know, we can have, we can arouse tremendous energy, but 
the energy is aligned with an unwholesome state of mind, right? And even even with uh, states of rapture, you know, like um, you win the lottery, you will have rapture. You know, there will be thrill, and or anything, you know, um, getting what we like. Though we'll have that that rapture or getting rid of what we <laughs> want to get rid of. So mindfulness. Uh, or at least that sort of continuity of attention and investigation, they, they can be aligned with both wholesome and unwholesome states. And, you know, it, it doesn't take much meditation for us to realize that we can be so scattered, but then some thought comes up and we get really concentrated on that thought. And then if, when that thought leaves, the sort of re- residue of concentration can still be there, having just been really sort of fixed on that thought, one-pointed with that thought. Now, the trouble is that concentration was being driven, was under the influence of greed, let's say, or aversion. And so when the thought disappears, that concentration, that that sort of one-pointedness of mind is going to seek another object that that also makes sense being under the influence of aversion or greed. And you might have noticed that too, you know, as you maybe got some breaks from the content that was swirling, like that the mind almost magnetically wants that concentration, that energy wants to go back to something just like that thought. Well, how about the same thought (laughs) with a slight twist, you know? And that's generally what we do when we're caught up in some emotion and some content is we tend to just repeat. And sometimes we'll jump from one to another. But you'll see that, I'll often will see that, that has a lot the same flavor as this, even though the content's different. It's a different part of our life or something. So that's why the emphasis with this practice is to do that, uh, use the formula of sustained present moment awareness. And what you can do when there's a lot of energy is don't, don't go to silent and focus. Really stay with the big open present moment, you know, sustained present moment awareness. And it's almost like you keep taking steps back and you're not trying to, I mean, this is just one strategy. You're not trying to bottle that emotional energy. You're, you're in a sense, giving it a lot of space to move, just letting everything swirl. And instead of saying like, oh, I should be with my body or I should be with my breath, it's more that you're, you're aware of the content and you're aware of the emotions, but the intention in the mind is not to forget the body, the breath, the sounds, while you're aware of that. Because that keeps you from sort of getting absorbed just in the content. And you can maintain a more wholesome uh, quality about how you're paying attention. But when you get totally drawn into the content and the emotion, then the how you're paying attention is going to be under the influence of the object, you know, and this is a disturbing object, and so it's either going to be greed or aversion, you know, that's going to be. But if you can stay with the big picture, with the emotions and the content and the sensations of the body and the sounds, and I'll even open my eyes in situations like that, because it really helps me not get drawn in. And then I can maintain some continuity of mindfulness if I use all six sense gates. And uh, don't let my mind get seduced into following one, like thinking.
Yeah, Lynn. So, if, excuse me, I'm going to go to my turn voice. If, how, I, I'm not sure I understand how to know how I'm relating if it's, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm, I'm in the present moment and it's just sort of generalized. I mean, I'm aware of the present moment and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sort of neutral. And if my attention is, 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 uh, if that's what I'm attending to, then where does the how I'm relating come in? Yeah. How does that look? Yeah, yeah, it's a good when, question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the question is how, because the how you're paying, the how we're paying attention, we want it to be skillful. And, the, and your question is how do we know that the how we're paying attention is skillful in that case? And the way really is that we're willing to include everything. So, however, you know, whatever's coming up, it's included. There's no uh, gatekeeper saying like what objects are okay, what objects aren't okay. But it also means that we're not being confused by the loud objects, like the emotional tone and the ideas, the images. They may seem big, but part of that inclusivity, like being relating in a wholesome way, is not having preferences for big objects or loud objects versus subtle objects. Everything sort of gets their moment in the sun of awareness. And we have to keep, and it has to be real active because because the objects are, of course, changing rapidly, lots of different objects coming from different sense gates. And so there's there's no, another sort of aspect of being skillful is there's no resting. It's a very, this is not a very tranquil, it, this is, it's not easy to get tranquility here in this style th- th- with this sort of meditation object. All the sense gates open. It's more, it more emphasizes the development of wisdom as opposed to calm. But it's one way to practice when we have sort of stormy stuff coming up is to get really big. Now you could try going to uh, a specific object, but that will either work or it won't, depending on whether you've, you've created a really wholesome habit to connect and sustain attention with one thing or go to loving kindness. I mean, there are other options. But anyway, the short answer is, is the attention, is the way you're paying attention inclusive and is it dynamic? Meaning, uh, moment by moment, the, you, they're not, you're not looking for a place to rest because there's no resting in this kind of practice. Um, in order to be inclusive, you have to keep noticing what's coming up and in a sense say, yes, you too. Yes, you too can be known. Yes, you too can be thought. Yes, you too. Yes, this too. If you're focused, if you're doing it differently and you're focusing on something, or you're having, and it's probably because I just simply don't understand how. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When you say look at how you're doing this, mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I? I don't know how to describe that. I don't know what that means. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, not yet. You say notice how that looks. Say you're doing one of the three or four kinds of, of awareness. Mm-hmm. You mean like sustained present moment? Right. Mm-hmm. And you say, and you say also notice how you're relating. Mm-hmm. I'm not 
sure how, plus it's, is it a thought in your head that you notice how you're, I mean, I don't know what that looks like. Does that? Well, it's, it's really just, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It isn't, it's not, first of all, it's not intuitive and it's an insight like we awaken to the fact that how we're relating is something you can look at first and that it's relevant second. So um, it, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of the time people don't know how they're relating and don't realize that that's relevant. I think that's common. So, but just intellectually understanding that that would be relevant is a really important step. And then intentionally look, like remember in your set, like there you are being aware of sounds. And then just in a sense, then ask yourself, how is the mind relating to these sounds? Is it inclusive? Is it controlling? Is it tight? Is it not tight? Is it, does it have the appearance of being skillful or the appearance of being unskillful? So just like bringing that question up will kind of focus your attention on the how the mind is relating. So it's the kind of question we ask or the way we direct the attention. But you're right. It doesn't occur to us, you know, when we're in our neurotic states, which is probably a lot of the time, it doesn't occur to us to ask the question, how is the mind relating right now? I think, what, what I, now that you've, the last things you said, I think it's like I don't know what terms to use to myself about how the mind is relating now. And you said a few things. Yeah, and I experiment too, you know, because of the way I'm saying it may or may not work for you. So there's a place for experimentation. Let's leave it here, though, because I want to save time for the small groups. Next week, I'll talk about investigation more formally with rapture. So I'll, I'll put the two together, and I think they, they make sense together. So I'll say more about that. Um, but in the small groups tonight, it might be good to talk about the meditation and to talk about... Um, let's see, I had a... Yeah, to talk specifically about energy if, if it seems relevant. So when you think about, and you can reflect on this right now, when you think about times in your practice, formal or informal, that you're being mindful and you're looking at energy, the experience of having energy, and just having a sense, is the energy in the mind infected by greed, anger, and aversion? Like, what is the energy, what's fueling the energy that you have, the brightness, the charge. Because energy is this, uh, you know, this ability to take effort, make effort to accomplish something. I mean, that's what, that's what energy and effort is. It's like we, we have the energy to make effort to get something, to do something, to accomplish something. So when you notice you have energy to make effort to do something, to get something, and you can think of something from today or a particular time. And then just getting a sense of, remember I said energy is, uh, can go both ways, can swing both ways. It can be aligned with something wholesome and aligned with an unwholesome state of mind. And so one of the things you can talk about in your small group is times in your life or in your practice where you noticed energy that was aligned with wholesome states of mind, not greed and not aversion. 
right? And what would it, what was that like? What, what, what is the experience of energy, brightness, the the ability to make effort to do things like? And in particular with meditation, it's the willingness to make effort to meet the object, to turn toward, to open up to the present moment object as opposed to sloth and torpor, which is to retreat. You know, like, oh, I just don't have it in me to feel this pain or to feel this emotion or to come back to the breath. But that wholesome energy is like inspired to connect. So that would be nice to share both, you know, energy that's aligned with unwholesome states. I'm out of here. (laughs) And energy that's aligned with wholesome states, like a real love. I mean, Interest and energy has that flavor of love. In fact, one translation for virya, the word for energy here, is heart, courageous heart. You know, just uh, that wholeheartedness. So hopefully that's enough to go on for the small groups. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So, 12. Let's try that. Scott, do you want to start? One, two, three, four, five. So let's have one and two in the office. One can be in my office. I'm assuming Shelley is gone. And then two can be around Shelley's desk. Someone from one can take the key. And then three, four, and five in the community room. Six and seven in the lobby. Eight downstairs on the white couch. You might want your coat. Nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Okay? And I'll ring the bell for any group that can hear it. Otherwise, choose a timekeeper. If you're new to... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.